Welcome to the podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs in the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. This week, we got a pretty good show. You know, I think I think so. We got several different topics that we're going to address. Um, not only are we going to recap, you know, the fight that took place between Gefford and Smith, we're going to make predictions on that Thurman and Barrios fight that's going to take place in February. And then next week, we got a fight between or that's going to showcase Gary Russell Jr. Uh, versus his number one contender, I believe, uh, Max Sal. And then also we're going to make a prediction on the highly anticipated fight that's going to take place against uh, Katie Taylor and Serrano. And then we also have another topic that we're going to address. Fellas, um, how, how are we doing this weekend? Um, you got anything special planned? I know that you probably have a four-day weekend or a three-day weekend since we got Martin Luther King Day coming up. You know, so what, what, what you got on the agenda? This three-day weekend, I'm just going to take it easy. Uh, I do have some, uh, you know, medical appointments uh, planned. Get that out the way and just reflect on, you know, Martin Luther King's dream. And, and, and it's always good to reset, especially, you know, around his birthday, which is always the beginning of the year, and see, you know, how far we come and how far we need to go. Yeah, for me, um, my weekend, well, I'll say last week was kind of workout intense on the back end of it. And so I'm going to be doing some recovery. I got my massage and chiropractic book for tomorrow. But other than that, uh, I'm just going to be knocking some stuff around the house, some stuff I have to set up and uh, just be doing some planning for the rest of the week and the rest of the month, really. That's what's up. You know, we got, as we speak, you know, I know this episode is going to come out tomorrow on Monday, but as we're talking right now, I'm looking out the window and I see the snow. So that's going to impact in terms of um, what I do as far as going out and about, but definitely going to, you know, knock some things out this weekend that, you know, you typically wouldn't be able to do if you were going back to work, you know, the following day. So, those are some of the plans that I have. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, Martin Luther King's dream, you know what I mean? Trying to make that come into fruition. You know, the crazy thing is, is that we so many years removed from it. And I think that we so far, you know, from getting to the dream that he had. And the reason why I say that is because yesterday, um, January 15th, you know, living here in Virginia, you got the new governor, Youngkin, you know, who comes in the office. And one of the first things that he did was to eliminate the mandate on masks in public schools. And so that should be at the parents, you know, discretion. And so I had no idea until this morning, you know, I was caught up, you know, doing things yesterday. And then I got the update and alert on, you know, his inaugural address and the first, you know, executive orders that he made. He made a lot of them yesterday, but that was one of the main ones. And it really dawned on me yesterday when I went out, I went to this restaurant, I'm not gonna say the name of the restaurant. And I um, got me, you know, this dish that I like to get from there. So I was going to pick it up. You know, I don't really stay in restaurants inside them, you know, especially like during the winter time. If I go to a restaurant, I'm gonna go, you know, sit outside and, you know, eat that way. But went in there to pick my food up. You know, it's kind of a bar, you know, you got a bar area. It, it reminds you of the show, um, 
cheers, you know what I mean, like that area, but then they also have a back area too that's a little bit more spacious. But if you go order the food, you have to go through that bar area, very tight. And it was a lot of people in there, not one person with a mask on. Now, that's one thing, you know what I mean? People can have their views in terms of, you know, whether or not a person should wear a mask and, you know, and whatnot, you know, at each person's discretion, right? But not only that, but these people are in there yelling, Yahoo! You know, they're doing all of that type of stuff. And then, like, I'm trying to get through to get my food. And one guy, he's like, I need everybody's attention. Like, these, these people are yelling at the top of their lungs, man. Right. And so he was like, Jennifer here, she just passed her accounting exam. She's going to be in the county. Everybody like, yay! I'm trying to get through all of these partlets coming out of their mouth and all of this type of stuff. I grab my food, I get to my car, and I go over to CVS. I just knew I had COVID. I went and got me a test, man. I was trying to see if I got it just, you know, making that trip along. But saying all that to say, Bill, I don't know about this, this uh, dream that Martin Luther King had, because right now, you know, instead of like the North versus the South, I think we got vaccinated versus unvaccinated, science versus whatever those people um, believe in who I was around yesterday. But anyway, enough for that. Um, let's go ahead and get up into this episode or get off into this episode. Let's go ahead and start off with the fight yesterday between Smith and Gefford. What were your thoughts on um, that fight? Now, this fight as a whole... Um, I had some mixed feelings about it, and I, I'll, I'll explain why later. But uh, you had Joe Smith Jr., you know, coming into this fight. Uh, he's 27-3 and three with 21 uh, knockouts. He has – his wins, his last win was over Maxime uh, Vasso, Flacco. I know I mess his name up like I usually do. But he also has a win over a uh, later Alvarez and also – uh, the win over uh, Bernard Hopkins in Hopkins' last fight, where he knocked Hopkins out of the ring, which was like Smith's, you know, uh, crowning achievements. But I didn't, I didn't really, uh, I thought Hopkins was, you know, pretty much at the end of his rope. But it really did, you know, um, push Joe Smith Jr. to a different level that he wasn't on previously as far as status. But he also has losses to uh, Dimitri Bivo and Sullivan Barrera, which pretty much show, you know, where Smith is at. So he's a pretty much a blue collar boxer, you know, overachiever in a sense, because, I mean, he has a, a hard will. He, he's really kind of what he say he is, which is the hard hat, hard hat boxer. You know, he's puts in the work, not supremely talented, but uh, he, he always gives his all, you know, when, when or lose. Now he's going against uh, Stephen Jeffrard, who, you know, 18 and two with 12 knockouts. Um, he didn't have any particular fights of note that were, you know, notable. And that's one of the things that I kind of, you know, really didn't, didn't like that. You know, of course, he, he got this fight off of eight weeks notice. Uh, and, and it was, for me, it was definitely some mixed feelings about that because, yeah, he get, he's probably going to get his payday. And I always like for, you know, young dudes coming up, you know, in the gyms uh to get their payday because boxers they don't get paid a lot contrary to what you believe the average boxer doesn't get paid a lot when you compare it to like you know football players or basketball players and he's you know i'm pretty sure he's been getting it in in the gym as a sparring partner and they made it they pretty much made a note that you know he sparred with you know uh bitter beef and also sergey kovalev which because they didn't have any fights to really, you know, any notable fights to really, you know, measure him by, they put that out there. 
So he, he's been putting the work in as far as a sparring partner. And of course, he's waiting for his payday, which he finally got. But at the same time, you know, it, it's almost like they took advantage of him. Eight days notice of a fight, you know, because uh, Joe Smith, he was originally supposed to fight Callum uh, Johnson, but Johnson kept testing positive for, for COVID. Uh, so Stephen, he pretty much got lucky with this fight to obtain this fight. But at the same time, I think uh, he, he, he didn't, of course, as this fight played out, he obviously didn't have the, the, the time to pre prepare for someone, even though Joe Smith Jr. is pretty much a, you know, again, a, a blue collar fighter. Jafar, I mean, he, you still need to prepare for a fight as magnitude because this is actually a title fight. So coming in this fight, it was basically like a showcase fight, even though it was a title fight. So Smith came out jabbing in the first round and pushing Jafar back. Um, and, and he was, you know, Jafar had that high guard and they made a note that was like a, a winky right guard. Uh, and Smith, he, well, impressed me about Smith is, is, is even though he is that, you know, that blue collar boxer, he does have some, some IQ. So he was, you know, throwing punches around the guard and throwing them through the guard and, and hitting Jafar that way and backing him up. And as Jafar backed up, he didn't, he couldn't really um, put out the, the activity and uh, put out enough punches to make Joe Smith really respect them as much as the fight went on. So as the fight went on, we saw that, uh, of course, Javar, this is his first time going past eight rounds. Uh, so that experience definitely came into play as uh, Smith pretty much toughed it out and uh, stopped him in the, in the ninth round, uh, putting him down. And, and as Jafar was down, I don't think he was going to get up anyway, but the, the, the corner uh, waved it off which is Kevin Cunningham, which is a trainer that, you know, he's always been around like Cunningham. So, um, so Joe Smith Jr., he got the stoppage. I can't say he's like this impressive, you know, win, but it's a showcase fight to show he is what he is. Um, and hopefully Smith going forward can get, uh, a, a they can get him in position to fight a better fight, you know, so. It, it was, you know, worth watching. I just wasn't overly impressed, and I felt kind of bad for Jafar. I looked at him like the same way, like, you know, uh, a few months ago with the Kyron Davis fight, where Davis, um, had he had the time to prepare, probably would have been a more uh, interesting fight between uh, Davis and, and David Benavidez. Yeah, when it comes to this one, it wasn't really much to discuss. You know, as you stated, um, Jafar was a eight day replacement and, and you know going into the fight he was actually scheduled to face a fighter in an eight round bout so if he's preparing for an eight round bout there's no way in the world that he was going to be prepared to go against um smoke and joe smith because of the fact that with that style that he was trying to employ with the high guard you know trying to make joe kind of wing shots tire himself out that will work better if you have a little bit more power than jafar had has and then also if joe smith was a fighter that was known to kind of slow down and um and towards the end of fights and he's not that type of fighter you know as a matter of fact joe will probably wouldn't necessarily get stronger but he's definitely you know always going to be have the capability of, of knocking you out. And so I think that with what he was trying to do, 
it just it wasn't going to work for him, especially somebody who had not been past eight rounds before. Because, again, if you're doing that, you want the other guy to tire out and he's going to be tired, too. And he's going to be, you know, taking a pounding, even though he has his guards up, you still get hit on, on those arms. You're still getting hit on those shoulders. You're still getting hit with a couple shots that, you know, you can't catch everything. And so I just think that that style, that's just that's probably his style but it wasn't going to fare well against Joe Smith, not with what he brings to the table. You know, just looking at Joe Smith, Joe Smith is Joe Smith. He's going to look very similar to what you saw yesterday most of the time because he's, when it comes to skills, I think that he is an average Joe. I think the one area that he is five stars would be his resiliency because he's never out of a fight. He's always going to, you know, come forward, He's always going to be looking to land that right hand, left hook, you know, sort of thing. So you always just have to be cognizant of that fact. Um, as far as the fight is concerned, I thought that Smith came up, you know, throwing those punches. He was doing what he was supposed to against somebody who was a late replacement, somebody who's not in the top 10, somebody that wasn't on his level. And so he was kind of breaking the guy down. I think Jafar had the most success in the second round. But after around like round four, you know, Joe start putting in that work. He started landing um, the bigger, heavier shots on a consistent basis. I think around round five, that's when he had like a really big round. And then like round six and round seven, he won those rounds. It wasn't as wide of a margin as it was round five. But then round eight is when, you know, he was battering the man around the ring. And Cunningham was telling him, he must have said something in, in, in Cunningham's ear. And Cunningham's like, nah, man, like you can't be talking like that. And you can kind of see it in the ring because Jafar started to wilt more and more. And those rounds like six through eight, it was like Smith could have got him out of there sooner because Jafar was just, he wanted an excuse to not go on any longer. But Smith just was just, you know, putting in work, wasn't really overexerting himself. But if he did, had he done it, the fight would have been over sooner. Um, you know, I can't blame Joe because Joe may have been trying to get some rounds in. I don't know. I don't know what the case was, or he just wasn't, he didn't have it in him at the time to go ahead and, you know, press on the gas, but he did in the eighth. And then he also did it in the ninth. And once he did that, he ended up dropping Jafar, Jafar. I don't know if he could have got up. I know he wasn't going to get up. So, you know, technically it's a technical knockout, but like you say, he wasn't going to get up. Now, what does this say moving forward for um, Joe Smith? You know, um, like you say, he moved up to, I want to say, 28-3 with 22 KOs now. To me, what this means is he is he's, he's Joe. You know what I mean? Like, he's just one of those guys that's always going to be in contention to be able to pull off the upset because he's pulled off so many upsets in his career. You know, they from far a fight. He had the... Hopkins fight you know he had the Jesse Hart fight where he was able to overcome you know huge odds and be victorious he can do that because it's like four guys I think that are better than him but he's always going to with the exception of Bill he's not going to beat Bill I think Bill beats him 10 out of 10 times just based on the styles kind of like how the style between him and Jeffrey Jeffrey wasn't going to beat Joe Smith because the way he fights is going to play into Joe Smith's hands. At some point, Smith is going to get to him because he's not, the stamina is not there to try to utilize the style. 
that he has towards Joe Smith. Now, that's the same thing with Smith and Bivol. Bivol just, he moves too much, too well. He's too highly skilled and he's not, he doesn't fatigue, you know, to the point where Joe Smith will be able to get to him. Now, the other guys I think will beat him and that is uh, Zerto. I think Zerto will beat him. I think that um, Callum Smith would beat him. And then I also think that Bivol would beat him. But I think with those guys, I think Bivol would be his best opportunity, although Bivol might, might be the best opportunity for him to be retired <laughs> because Bivol hits so hard and he's, he's not the best defensive guy. And so Bivol can get him out of there. But at the same time, it's always going to be that chance that Joe lands one of those big shots on Bivol and he can always turn the tide. So that's going to be the dynamic that you'll deal with in a fight like that. It could be a total whitewash where Bivol just takes him out. And then it could also be the point where that resiliency takes in, kicks in. Bivol gets a little fatigued. He gets a little careless and then he can get, you know, put to sleep. And so it, it will be interesting to see how um, his career plays out from here. Um, but he's always going to be in a fight just based on that resiliency. But, you know, go stay busy, fight, you know, to get the cobwebs off because he was out for a long period of time. So shout out to Joe. Yeah, I don't have much to add here. I do agree with your assessment of him. Uh, one thing he has going for him is his heart. It's the gift and the curse because it's the gift in the sense that it's going to keep him in entertaining fights and it's going to keep the fans wanting to see him. And so, um, you know, that's what he has going. But it, it's the curse in a sense that, you know, it could potentially shorten his career if he if he does end up getting in too many wars moving forward. But um, as it pertains to this fight, um, you know, you guys pretty much said it for the most part, but Jafar fought like a guy who probably could have fought better if he would have had a full training camp or at least if he wasn't preparing to make weight last week. Like, you know, I give him this, you know, it's hard to be at the end of your weight cut and then you find out you're getting the fight of your life eight days later. And so you have to cut weight for another eight days, just about, you know what I mean? And so, you know, there's that. And um, I would have been so interested to see if he had a full training camp, but he was just kind of out of his depth. Like you said, Vel, they tried to hype up that fight by pointing out how he had sparred with Kovalev and Betterbiev and Southern Barrera. But for one, um, last year was his first fight in three years, so he's been pretty inactive over the grand scheme. And then, two, like Joe Smith was saying, there's a difference between sparring these guys and then actually going into a professional fight where your opponent's livelihood depends on hurting you and knocking you out. But um, all in all, Joe Smith did what he had to do. But moving on, we have Gary Russell Jr., who's back in the ring for the first time in two years, and he's fighting his mandatory Mark McSayo. Uh, how do you guys see that going? So we got uh, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. from uh, fighting out of uh, D.C., Capitol Heights, Maryland, to be exact, uh, the speedster. Uh, 31 and one, um, very fast guy, very fast hands. Um, he's about five foot four and a half has a 64 inch reach, small guy, but he makes up for it with the speed and, and tenacity. He's more, I think he's underrated, uh, tenacious. I mean, even when you look at the, the, the fight against, 
Lomachenko, he, you know, he, he toughed his way out to the end. Normally when Lomachenko start putting on guys, they break. And Russell um, just, it just he refused to break, even though he lost that decision. So uh, Russell, he has a great jab, southpaw jab. I think he's even right-handed. Uh, because the speed allows him to hit really hard, you know, he's not like this power puncher, but he could take guys out of there with speed because he, he, he can catch dudes. So he, he's very uh, resilient, you know, uh, very underrated. Uh, one of the best jabs. He has IQ, has pretty good footwork. He can fight backing up. He does a lot of things well. Uh, so he's a very talented guy. So Mark McSayo, uh, 23 and no with 16 knockouts. Uh, his last victory was over Julio Cejas, which I guess he came back to win that fight in a impressive manner where he stopped Cejas. But Cejas did hurt him and put him down early in the fight. So Maxayo, you know, up-and-coming guy, um, hard-hitting and, and resilient. He doesn't have that, like, one-punch knockout, but he can really stun guys and, and get him out of there. So in this fight, I think um, – how I see this fight playing out, Gary Russell has too many wrinkles to his game. He's going to use his, his movement. He's going to use that jab. He's going to push that jab out, out to Maxayo. Um, I think Maxayo is going to prove to be tougher than, than people think he is because I, I see a thing with Gary Russell's junior's opponents is um, normally he beats these guys and, and they say, well, that guy wasn't nobody. But then they they – you know, they see that when those guys go on and, and fight other fighters, we see that they give those fighters tough times, even if they lose. Like we saw that with King Tut when he fought um, Chris Colbert. And we also saw that with Jojo Diaz and, and, and Diaz last few fights where he was even able uh, to catch to get a, a lightweight title. So Gary Russell Jr. is one of those guys. I think his resume might look better in hindsight, not really, really like great, but it, it might look better than meets the eye. And I think he is better than meets the eye. So I think he's going to win a decision over Maxayo. I think his his experience, uh, his IQ and speed is going to be too much. Uh, I'm not. I don't think he's going to stop Mark Maxayo. And I think Maxayo is still in this fight. Um, but I, I, I see Russell winning a decision. Yeah, I think that uh, I can't see anything other than a Russell victory. You know. Um, Maxayo, he's going to be aiming to become only the second Filipino to be crowned a WBC featherweight champion. And then Russell, you know, um, we say that his level of opposition may be kind of limited, but he's also going to be chasing greatness because he he will be only um, one of five fighters who've had more than six uh, title defenses in the featherweight weight class. So you know, that'd be a nice accomplishment for him as well. And you don't think about him having that many title defenses because he fights so, you know, sparingly, you know, like kind of like once a year. And so this would be another title defense for him. Maxayo, the other thing, you, you mentioned a lot of great things, you know, as far as your breakdown, I should say, but he's had an extensive amateur career too. You know, there's reports that he had over 200 amateur bouts you know, then also he's trained by the fame Hall of Famer, um, Freddie Roach, you know, and then both of these guys were prospects of the years um, in their respective careers. So it's going to be an interesting fight. McSyle is going to be, you know, confident. He's undefeated. 
he's going to have a puncher's chance because he really does pack a punch. You know, he, he, he's very heavy handed. Um, there's reports that, you know, when he was coming, I shouldn't say reports, but he was looked at as like the new Manny Pacquiao earlier in his career after all of that amateur success that he had and his fighting style. But he was facing a lot of limited opposition. They were keeping him away from like tough fights, you know, so that kind of stagnated his progress, you know. And so I think that that alone is going to impact the outcome of this fight. You know, Gary Russell, he comes to the ring, even though he has these long layoffs, he still has amazing blazing speed. He has pretty good power. You know, he took out Kiko Martinez not too long ago um, and a few others, you know, but that's not his his, his calling card is, is the power, but he does have enough power if you're not careful. And always those shots that you don't see can be the most um, deleterious for his opponents. So, you know, he has the defense, the smarts, the poise, you know, and I made a mistake on the last time I spoke on him. You add all of those factors in, but then you have a dash of showmanship too. You know, sometimes he's going to, you know, whether it's coming into the ring or letting you know that he hits you with a flashy combination, you know, he, he, he's there for it, you know. Now, I think as you stay the veil, it's not much for me to say. I think more so I'm looking can pass this fight i think maxell like i say he you, you can't count him out you know with that punching ability that he has but i'm looking to see what's going to happen after this fight is over with like what is gary russell going to do because he's not getting any younger he's 33 years of age and so he's going to have to make that run as far as you know putting his name now i know that that's a, a pretty good accomplishment being one of only five fighters that have six title defenses in the featherweight division because you have some great featherweights um in that division, sometimes featherweight was like a pivot, a, a, a pit stop for some, you know, um, as they moved on to bigger and better things, trying to get bigger paydays. So I'm trying to figure out if that's what Gary Russell is going to do after, if he's successful in this fight. Is he going to go up there and demand a Tank, Tank Davis fight? Some of those fights that he wants, he would have to jump two weight classes for. But really, he wouldn't if he wants to, you know, go to... The next weight class you know there's a guy Shakur Stevenson right there I don't know if the if that's a lucrative enough fight you know for him to do so but you know the way he talks it's like 135 isn't anything for him so he can go up there and see if he can secure another fight against uh, Loma but I'm just I'm, I'm more so interested to see where Gary goes from here and that's what I'm more so interested in but that, that's all I have on this fight yeah it's not too much to add that you guys haven't, you know, McSayo does have speed, power, and that motor, but he's looked vulnerable against lesser opponents. And Russell's been inactive, but he's extremely dedicated to his craft. Um, I think he'll want a sound, unanimous decision. But, you know, I am interested to see where he goes moving forward because, like you said, he don't have a lot of time left. On another note, I also want to extend – you know, uh, my heart to his family, because I believe this is only speculation on my part, but I believe even though he's typically relatively inactive, you know, he did lose his brother to a heart attack in December of 2020. And his father slash trainer is uh, going through it right now because of diabetes and recently had his foot amputated. And he had to do a lot of his training like through Zoom and like FaceTime and stuff like that. 
And so, you know, they said he should actually be in the hospital now, but he was holding off until after this fight. And so, you know, um, my heart goes out to the Russell family. And so, you know, whatever he has to do for his career, you know, I'm sure he'll do that. And, you know, I just hope to see good fights from him and, you know, wishing health to to his father. Did you guys have anything else on that one? Yeah, yeah, my heart goes out to his family also. Um, he, he's a tough guy. He always stays in shape when he's not fighting, even amongst all the things that goes on, uh, especially uh, regarding the brother. I did hear about his brother dying of a heart attack. Uh, I believe it was last year. Um, and it's, pre it's pretty, you know, tough situation because I know he, he lost another brother uh, early in his career. Uh, I think it was the old, one of his older brothers he lost also to, you know, some uh, violence. So my heart goes out to him. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, what, that's what impressed me about fighters, man. They, they, they can go do what they do uh, amongst all the, the challenges that go on outside the ring. And it's more so incredible that he's the type of fighter that stays in shape. Uh, I'm always impressed with fighters who stay in shape uh, when they're not fighting. You know, a lot of guys blow up between fights and get all pudgy and stuff like that. And he, he really doesn't, you know. So a uh, shout out to Gary. So moving along, uh, we have a, a super fight uh, among two fighters that uh, this, this fight has been in play for, for a while. And now it's been uh, widely anticipated as far as moving the sport of women's boxing forward. And I'm talking about Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano uh, for April 30th. I believe it's been, um, been discussed and it's being finalized. So what are your guys' thoughts on that fight and, and how you see it going? Yeah, this is one of the, if not the biggest fight you can make in women's boxing today. So, and they're saying it might be at Madison Square Garden. So I'm super excited to see this one. It's not like box record official yet, but A.D. Hearn said essentially it's a done deal. At any rate, we have Taylor, who is 20-0 with six knockouts. Uh, she is 35 years old. She last beat Feruza Sharapova uh, last month. And Amanda Serrano who fought on that Jake Paul undercard. Um, she is 42-1-1 with 30 knockouts. She's 33 years old, and she last beat Miriam Gutierrez on that card. Um, they're saying it will be on April 30th, and one of the things that makes this interesting is the fact that Serrano will be moving up from featherweight to lightweight to fight her. Now, if they were they were already fighting at the same weight class, It'd be one thing, but I'm not sure how Serrano's power is going to carry, especially against a fighter like Katie Taylor, um, who is very, very technically sound. Uh, they both are very solid fighters, very technically sound. But to me, um, Serrano has a little bit more dog in her. Like, if you don't belong in that ring, she's going to let you know with her fists. And so this one is very close to what I think is a 50-50 fight. And without the technical, since we're doing a prediction, without the technical analysis, this is one that I'm just going to go with my gut. And if I have to choose one, I think that Amanda Serrano is going to win this by decision. This fight right here, man, you know, this this is a doozy right here. This, this is what it's all about. And this fight definitely needs to be made. You got two of the top pound-for-pound pound fighters, top five pound-for-pound pound fighters in women's boxing. I don't know if that's ever happened, you know, where you have fighters that high uh, facing each other. Could, could, could have.
have been. I'm, I'm not sure, not familiar with um, like the history like that to know whether or not that's the case. But this definitely would be one where you got maybe even a top three. So, um, like you say, Katie Taylor, you know, she goes by KT, the, the Brave Bomber. Um, they also call her simply the best. And Amanda Serrano, her alias is the real deal. So you got a lot of dynamics going on here. You got the Southpaw and Serrano. You got the Orthodox Fighter and Katie Taylor. You got Puerto Rico versus Ireland. You know, that dynamic going on. Now, in their last fights, I thought that um, Serrano, she did a really good job of taking out Gutierrez, even though that was a 10-round unanimous decision. And that fight was important because Miriam Gutierrez also has fought Katie Taylor. But both of them beat Gutierrez, and they just did them the way that they customarily fights. You know, so they, they took two different approaches, but the end result was a wide decision victory for both fighters. Um, to me, Taylor, she's been looking lately more vulnerable than she's had previously. You know, she's a decorated, she's one of the most decorated female amateurs. So she has that pedigree going for, whereas Serrano, she only had nine or 10 amateur fights. She was nine and one in the amateur. So you got to give Taylor um, a check mark there for that amateur pedigree. Also, in looking at their careers, Serrano has a lot more fights, you know, um, because she turned pro earlier, but she was kind of learning on the job. And if you look at her box race, she has a loss against um, a fighter named Frida Wahlberg in 2012. Like I say, learning on the job. And then she also has a draw against Ella Nunez. Um, Frida Wahlberg got knocked out and concussed in her next fight out. And so she no longer fights. Like that was a devastating KO, but it was a close fight. Both of the fights that she had, that was a loss and a draw. They were close. But again, she was, you know, learning her craft. Um, Serrano, you know, in the ring, you know, she has that heat seeking power. You know, she has devastating punch of power. I think even though she'll be coming up in weight, that she'll have the advantages in strength. She's she's a very strong fighter. Um, I think she'll have advantages when it comes to stamina. Uh, the footwork is, is good. I don't think that she'll have an advantage there, but she has excellent footwork. Now, Katie Taylor, on the other hand, what she's going to do is she's going to bring that fast-paced, aggressive style, speed, combinations. Um, she's faster, I think, slightly. And, you know, she uses angles. She's kind of like sometimes she can give you that Lomachenko type look and then she's also very accurate i will put a check mark as far as accuracy i think she's more accurate than serrano and as i mentioned the speed you know as they say she's faster than a speeding bullet but again she's slowing down a little bit um i think what slowed her down is the fact that she had two fights against a lady named parsons parsons is a top 10 pound for pound fighter as well but parsons is five nine but parsons is going to pressure Pressure, pressure. She's long. First fight, I don't know how Parsons didn't win that first fight. Parsons was landing everything in the book. Second fight, what Taylor found out was that if I'm going to fight somebody who's this aggressive, who shoots these many shots, who's this powerful, I better learn how to move my head. And so she did that in the second fight. I thought the second fight could have went either way, but they gave the nod to um, Taylor. So she has two wins over Parsons, but man, brutal fight.
fights. Those fights, those are the type of fights that take years off your career. Um, and I think that that's what's contributing to her slowing down. She also has a victory over Jessica McCaskill, who's now, I want to say she's the undisputed welterweight champ. So that's a huge check off on her, her resume. So when it comes to resume, she has that on lock. Like she has um, those two wins or those three wins, if you factor in that she beat Parsons twice or get given a nod twice. But just being in that type of fight only helps you when you're fighting against another fighter who hasn't fought under those circumstances. So you got to give her, you know, um, the nod there. Um, at this stage, I think earlier, I don't think this was a 50-50 fight. I would have leaned towards Katie Taylor, maybe 60-40. Um, but right now, it's a 50-50 fight. Some things that are going in their favor, like the experience part of it, but at the same time, she's not as fast as she was before. Um, and then also her stamina. Like, I've been seeing her look a little bit more. Um, she, she huffs and puffs a little bit more at the end of fights. And um, like I said, the, the two advantages that Serrano's going to have is going to be maybe um, that strength and that power. And then Taylor, she's going to have the superior technical skills. And then she has fought better opposition. So those are the things that um, we're going to be looking at going into this fight. Now, here's the deal. If Serrano can pressure like Parsons, you know, with her power, she could be victorious by stoppage or she can win a decision that way. Also keep in mind they're fighting in New York. So that's going to play a factor in um, possibly how the outcome of this fight. But the Irish, they're going to bring a whole bunch of people over. So it's going to be like Ireland Square. You know what I mean? Like you, you, it's going to be like another, whatever place in Ireland you can think about, that's what Madison Square Garden is going to look like on that day because they're going to pack that arena. Um, Katie, you know, like I said, she's been gassing out as of late. And so although... Um, Katie has been looking a little bit more um, like she's gassing out late in fights lately. And then also she is, um, she's just been looking a little bit more vulnerable. I'm thinking, although Serrano, even though she's more than capable of winning this fight, I'm leaning towards Taylor for these reasons. The reasons why I think Taylor is going to win this fight is based on experience, you know, also the amateur pedigree and then a top-level opposition that he, she has on her resume. Parsons twice, McCaskill twice. You won't see anybody like that on Serrano's resume. And then I think just as important, like in this fight, when you put both fighters' styles together, Serrano is fast. You know, they could be equally as quick. They can be equally as fast. But Serrano's shots are just a little bit more wider, you know, to get that power off. She has to come from just a little bit more of a wide angle. And so that leads me to believe that in most exchanges, Taylor, she's going to be able to get there first um, and then just get out of there before danger lurks. So to me, I think that Taylor's going to win by a 12-round decision, probably something like uh seven five or something like that but hopefully it'll cause for a rematch because both ladies you know they deserve a huge payday because serrano um she's been looking to fight mma just like clarissa shields and things like that because if you look at both fighters you know their net worths they definitely deserve more money than they've been getting um and these fighters have been dedicating themselves to the sports if you look also deeper into their lives, their personal lives. Neither fighter says that they're in a relationship with any other person because they're dedicating themselves to the sports. 
and Hex Serrano, she doesn't even have a cell phone because she don't want to get distracted from her ultimate goals that she have, you know, in boxing. But all in all, this is going to be great for women's boxing, and I look forward to this event. Yeah, you both gave some phenomenal uh, predictions and breakdowns, and I agree with just about everything that you guys covered. I think this is going to be a um, very entertaining fight, and like you said, Will, I could see this actually ending up being a rematch. Um, it, it is close to 50-50 fight, and I think that's more so due to, you know, Taylor slowing down a little bit. Um, but but when I look at them, I look at how their styles are going to play out. This is a traditional, like, you know, the boxer versus the swarmer. This is like the boxer with the amateur pedigree, you know, like a, you know, a Sugar Ray Leonard, a Floyd Mayweather, you know, versus – you know, the, the boxer, the swarmer that that has to, the boxer puncher that had to tough their way up. You know, the Armando Serrano is like the Roberto Duran, the Manny Pacquiao, and didn't have a extensive amateur career, but made up for it by taking more fights than usual. Because I think she has twice as many professional fights as um, Katie Taylor. And also Serrano, um, I did have concerns about whether her power carry up, but after I saw the last fight, uh, Serrano's last fight against Gutierrez. Um, I thought Serrano handled it well. And plus, Serrano has fought at, I think she, she fought as high as uh, light welterweight. And I believe that was maybe about three or four years ago. So, Serrano, sometimes if Serrano wins this fight, then I, I think it, it'll put her to a legendary status because we're talking about a fighter who's fought as, as light as, as uh, what, flyweight or super flyweight up to uh, light welterweight today. So, and, and She's been fighting at, I think she fought at super flyweight about, what, about three years ago. So she's fluctuating between these weight classes so fast. And she's just, a, just an all-around fighter, very tough, very dedicated. Like you said, Will, she, she, I did remember reading that article where she said she's not in a relationship and she doesn't have a cell phone because she doesn't want to get distracted. And that's, you know, I imagine if more fighters were that dedicated where they wouldn't allow those type of, you know, outside distractions for them, like where would they be? How good would they be? what they uh, accomplish. But when I look at how she, she matches up, how Serrano matches up with Katie Taylor, I think Taylor is, is a little bit more faster with her punches. And I think she throws shorter punches. So I think she can catch um, Serrano in so, you know, those exchanges. But I think those exchanges will be, but will be uh, key. Uh, if Serrano is able to, to pressure uh, Taylor and make Taylor think, overthink, I think Taylor is will be in a, a real fight. And I think uh, Serrano has a good chance to win this fight. But on the other hand, I do think if Katie Taylor, because she does have power herself, just not Serrano type power, I don't think. But if Taylor is able to back up Serrano, I don't think Serrano can fight backing up. But I, I think Katie Taylor can fight backing up. She can move. She moves backwards. She has good lateral movement. She can move around the ring. Uh, I've seen Serrano pressure points, but I haven't seen her you know, take a step backwards and fight off the back foot. And also, even in her last fight with Gutierrez, I think Gutierrez, I remember Gutierrez turning southpaw, even in, in, in spots where I think, I thought Serrano had a good shot of stopping her. Um, Gutierrez would turn southpaw and catch uh, Serrano with these, you know, these, these counter punches. And even though Taylor isn't a southpaw, I think Taylor has the, the IQ uh, necessary from her, her amateur experience to, to try to catch um, uh, Serrano with some counters. And I think that would be key because she's going to have to give Serrano something to think about to keep Serrano off of her. So this is a hard fight to predict because I can see a case of both winning, but 
if I had to, to if you ask me who I'm going to put my money on, I would put my money on Katie Taylor winning this fight by decision. But at the same time, I won't be surprised if Serrano eat this one out or even even stop uh, Taylor because Serrano is like this whirlwind. And, and, and um, if she can pressure Taylor enough where Taylor doesn't get to breathe, I can see that her, I can see her winning this fight. But for all intents and purposes, I, I predict that Katie Taylor will win this fight by close decision. Uh, anything else you uh, guys have to share? No, I was just going to say this, man. It's it's like, it's this is a very difficult fight to predict. What really gives me the impression that Serrano can get it is if you look at those Parsons fights, because Taylor didn't win that first fight. Like, I don't, I don't care what anybody say. And it's two things about those fights. One, she took so much punishment that she hasn't looked the same. Like, if you look at earlier in her career, like the movements that she had, that speed, um, she was just too much for most ladies. I think when I say all ladies, so that's why she was up there as far as like the number one fighter, it was like undeniable. But after those Parsons fights, I don't think it's, it's the fact that she, um, like the invincibility was gone. It was more so it was something taken out of her. And so that's what I'm looking at. But also this last fight, the fighter that she was facing was pressuring her. That fight could have went either way. That was a close fight. And that's the thing. Like now when people pressure, when, when ladies pressure Katie, she's not like just letting them have it like she would have previously. So that leads me to believe because the fighter that she was facing last is nowhere near the level of Serrano. But here's the thing. Serrano doesn't necessarily fight like that. Like, she's going to come in with her shots, but it's just not like not nonstop. Like, those girls are nonstop. Like, Parsons, as soon as that bell rings, she's on you. And the only way that you're going to deter Parsons, you have to hurt her. And if you don't, then she's going to just be on you all day. And that's what she was doing to Katie. Not only was she just on her, she couldn't miss. So that's the thing. The, the amount of pressure that Serrano is going to put on Taylor, will it be enough? Because those two rounds are so quick that you can just dodge somebody for a little bit and then put your offense together and then the round is over with. So that's the thing. That's the reason why this fight can be really close. And I think that somebody as smart as Katie Taylor, she has that um, Usyk in her where she's going to do what she needs to do to win. So that's the reason why I'm leaning towards her. All right. So tune in April 30th. That's when the, the uh, expected date it hasn't been set yet, but that's what I'm hearing. So uh, be on the lookout for that fight. So moving right along, we have a fight that's coming up uh, February 5th. Um, Keith one-time Thurman will return and he's going to take on uh, Mario Barrios who just coming off his loss where he gave a spirited effort against Javante Davis. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this fight and what are your prediction for it? What do you see happening? Yeah, next time, bro, just go ahead and uh, say that thing about the fight because you took half my notes, you know what I'm saying, in the introduction. So now I'm just messing with you, bro. Now, um, with this fight, you know, you got Keith one-time Thurman. You know, he's 29-1 with 22 KO, 69-inch reach, 5'9.5 fighter out of Clearwater, Florida. You know, like they say, they call him one-time. 
You got Mario Barrios out of San Antonio, 26-year-old young man, 26, one with 17 KOs, 5'10", 71-inch reach. He's also an orthodox fighter. Um, here, this fight to me, I, you, it's nowhere in the world that you would be leaning towards Barrios, but like you said, he put on a spirited effort, you know, respectable effort against Tank Davis in his last fight. Mario Barrios has been complaining about you know, having to make the 140 pound limit for quite some time now. So this could be something that's much needed for him. He may have, you know, be more, he may, may be stronger. Um, he may have um, better stamina, although he didn't have bad stamina at 140, but it could be the fact that he's not draining himself. So, you know, his punch resistance may be better, you know, so those are some of the things to look out for. But I just think skill wise, He's not as skillful as Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman has been to the mountaintop. I think that this fight more so is a gauge for, you know, how one time looks. And if he looks good, then we should expect a fight against Crawford in the summer. You know, and as I stated before, if he looks bad, then you're going to have all type of fighters that's going to call him out. Um, so hopefully he is successful. People are going to also be gauging this to see how he looks in comparison to Tank Davis. Tank Davis did have some trouble against Mario Barrios, but the size difference, you know, so was so enormous that you kind of overlooked that. And it's like, oh man, this little um, tugboat looking fella, you know, finally, you know, caught up to Mario towards the latter part of the fight. And so he was kind of given a pass. Keith's not going to be given a pass if he looks bad or vulnerable, although he's been out the game for a long time because he's a big solid welterweight who has all of these accomplishments. And so he's expected to um, get Barrios out of there. I don't necessarily know how he's going to go about doing it. I'm quite sure he's going to have some cobwebs, you know, being off so long. Um, so it's going to take him some time to get that off of him, shake that off. But, you know, when it's all said and done, I expect him to beat Mario Barrios, probably maybe, you know, mid to late round uh, stoppage. Um, but like I said, it's going to be tough because he hasn't fought since July of 2019, you know, since he had that Manny Pacquiao loss. And so the last thing I'm going to say before we leave, the questions going into this fight is, is going to be, well, the rest, is that going to help or hurt Keith or both? It could be a combination of both. He could be looking rusty, but at the same time, it could help because all of the injuries that he was having and piling up on him, you know, he may have been able to heal up, but then it's going to take him some time to build his, his level back up or his levels back up um, because he's been off so long. And then the other thing that we should be looking for is the hunger like does he still have the hunger to compete at the elite level you know or is he just back to collect the payday to collect the check you know is he still that that keep that said don't duck me son like is that still a key or is this you know somebody out here who's just trying to um you know get one last payday and then also i mentioned this before Will that move up to 147? Will that help or hurt Mario Barrios? Will he be stronger? Um, I'm sure that's going to be the case, but is the skills, skill level enough to compete with one of the top, you know, welterweights in the business? But that's all I got, man. You know, it should be an interesting fight. You also have 
um, Santa Cruz on the card. And so I'll be definitely tuning in. So that was a, a pretty good breakdown. Um, I think this fight will be interesting because of, you know, Keith Thurman, I think this layoffs. Um, yeah, like you said, I, I'm not sure if it helps him or hurt him. Uh, it could either do both. But Thurman at his best, you know, he's an athletic fighter. Um, he has some type of IQ, but he relies on athleticism. He can move, you know, backing up. He, he used lots of movements. Uh, a little soft to the body, but he can, you know, uh, his power makes up for it when he throws those shots. He can really stun guys and get them out of there. Um, he has inter he has wins over. When you look at his wins, um, sometimes you wonder like this guy should 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 be at the top of the top of the line pretty much. He has wins over you know um, Danny Garcia and Sean Porter. Um, he also has a win over Robert Guerrero when Robert was you know still you know going on his run at the time. Um, but when I look at this fight, uh, I think being off, I think it's gonna, it, in my opinion, it's going to hurt him more than help him because he's one of those fighters that, uh, of course, he gets injured a lot. But at the same time, what doesn't help him and probably what's lead to him staying injured is he doesn't stay on weight. He, you know, he walks around heavy. He, he isn't always training when he isn't fighting. So um, when, you, when you treat training camp almost like a when it's more like a weight loss camp to get down to weight. Uh, you risk more injuries and you risk more, you know, wear and tear on your body. And I think that's probably what he's going through. You know, it's um, and it's interesting because he, you know, he's a bright guy. When you, when you listen to him talk about boxing, he does have an IQ and he, he is very articulate. You have a lot of boxers who are, are supremely talented or even probably even better than him than he is. They can't really articulate why they do what they do or why other boxers do what they do as good as Keith Thurman can. So he's, he's pretty bright guy and and it'll, it'll be interesting to even see where he goes after his career is over um but in this fight Barrios, like you said uh will he was struggling with some, a little bit on weight at 140 and i think he'll be more hydrated at 147 when i look how they match up i don't think Barrios has uh a lot that will trouble that should trouble keith thurman but i think it will because the, you know again the layoffs and keith thurman being rusty and and, and if, if Barrios can, can really touch Thurman in that body, I think it'll be an interesting fight. And plus, uh, if, if Barrios still have uh, Virgil Hunter in, in, in his corner, I think Hunter will, will definitely be, you know, targeting his strategy towards Keith Thurman's uh, strengths and weaknesses. So uh, I'll look for uh, Mario Barrios to be targeting that body and uh, trying to time Keith Thurman and, and, and keep Thurman on the back foot. Because even though Thurman can, you know, he shoot these hard punches, he's less effective when he's moving backwards and trying to, you know, get away from his opponents. Um, so this fight, I think it's an interesting fight. And I think even from a business perspective, it's interesting because I, I think what's going to happen is Barrios is going to probably put up a, 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 a spirited effort where he doesn't get stopped. And if this fight is close, I'm going to look for Keith Thurman to still get the nod because it does two things. Even if this is a controversial win for Keith Thurman, I think, it does two things business-wise for the powers that be. Number one, it makes Javante Davis into, you know, the pound for pound guy to be ranked in that top, pound for pound top 10 that they're pushing, you know, um, and say that, he, yeah, he's that good. Look, Keith Thurman couldn't do what Javante Davis did. And number two, they could still use Thurman, who is a bigger name than Barrios. Even if Barrios were to win his fight, Keith Thurman is still a bigger name. They can use that to entice 
a Terrence Crawford who's now a free agent and say, hey, look, we can get you this flight. We can get you a Keith Thurman. And that, that could be, you know, a, a power play on getting, you know, Terrence Crawford to sign on uh, that fight with PBC. So I'll be looking for those things. But I do think Keith Thurman is supremely way more on another level than Mario Barrios. But I think he's his own uh, worst enemy when it comes to these type of fights and, and when it comes to his layoffs because he, he keeps getting injured. And I, I, I'll, I'll be surprised if he's even coming to this fight 100%, that there isn't a lingering elbow injury or anything going on with them but it'll be interesting to see on february 5th yeah thurman should win this fight um a few things that make me a little bit leery of that is two things well maybe three one you guys have already said it but his inactivity he hasn't fought since the manny pacquiao fight in july of 2019 two is his age He's 33 years old, which is not old, but, you know, I, I, I listened to Fight Hype. I, I listened to the Porterway podcast that he was just interviewed by Sean Porter and, and crew. And he was talking about how it is harder for him to cut weight and some of those things that come with being in those uh, mid-30s as a, as a fighter. You know, Porter also referenced in a previous episode how he was kind of like with his age and with his mentality and how he didn't do some of the things that he normally would have done at his training camp for Crawford. So I wonder if that is a similar thing for Thurman, if maybe his age and his body has made it more difficult to get through training camps now. And then uh, number three is, is just the injuries, you know, um, you know, he had the elbow injury. He had um, a hand injury in the right hand, I believe, in March 2018. And then he had surgery on his left hand to deal with the injury after the Pacquiao fight. They might have been the same hand. I'm not sure. But he's had hand injuries, and he's had injuries to the, the same limbs that he uses to punch with is where I'm getting it. And so... I do think that he should win a decision. I don't see a stoppage for the reason that I just listed. He had those those hand injuries, and I don't think he's just going to have that same power. But I do think that Barrios is going to make it interesting. One of the things that um, gave him some of those rounds against Tank was his activity. And so I think that his activity may trouble Thurman. Now, granted, he doesn't have the same wrinkles in his game that Pacquiao did, but Pacquiao's activity, I thought, troubled Thurman. And so um, I'm also looking at how Thurman looked in that comeback fight in 2019, uh, right before he fought Manny Pacquiao. And he got the job done, but he didn't look great. And so I think it may be more interesting that we're giving Barrios credit for. He also may have a bigger motor at 147, too, since he doesn't have to cut as much weight. Uh, but I think it'll be a good fight, and I think Thurman will win. Now, our last topic. Uh, we all wanted to see Terrence Bud Crawford in that super fight, and we are getting a super fight. It's just not the one we wanted to see. is <laughs> uh, Bud Crawford against top rank, actually. <laughs> um, do you guys have any thoughts on that, or do you guys have whatever you want to say about it? All right, so basically what I gathered from this is a six-count lawsuit. Um, 
you got a breach of contract on two different counts. Uh, Crawford's team is saying that there was some fraudulent misrepresentation or failure to deliver big fights um, in the manner in which it was presented to him. You know, you got a breach of contract of implied covenant of good faith. You got extensive allegations of racial bias against Crawford. And then he's also seeking upwards of $10 million in these lawsuits is basically one for 4.5 million, another for 4.5 million. Um, what Crawford was also saying is that after the Kabbalaskis fight, he only had one fight between, I wanna say it was October 13th to October, October 13th of 2019, and then October 12th of 2020, he only had one fight but he was supposed to have two fights in between there, or he was supposed to have another fight in between that time under the contract that he had. And, but he, he also omitted the fact that there was a pandemic in that time. And then that he also had an interview where he said that he needed to be better compensated if there was not gonna be any fans in the stands. So that could be an issue in a court of law, you know, with him making those comments. So in that time when he was supposed to have that other fight that year, he averaged about $4.5 million under his contract um, in that 2018 agreement that he made to re-sign with top rank. So that's why he feels he deserves that $4.5 million um, because of the fact that that's how much he averaged with the Kowalowskis fight, the Khan fight, and I want to say the Porter fight. Now, also with the Kavalaskis fight, Crawford really didn't want to take the fight for the amount that he was supposed to get for that fight. Um, but top rank included a Spence bonus in the fight or, or provision that he was going to get the Spence fight. And interesting enough is that the discussions that they had about that was the day after Spence was in a near fatal car accident in 2019. 2019. Um, so, and then also with the six counts, um, I'm not sure as far as the um, how much of like the racial component is is in there. But see here to me, it's a couple things that is going to be troubling for Crawford in this suit. I think that the best case that he has is the $4.5 million that he was supposed to get for the fight that he didn't have with after um, or in that, that year's time frame. So that from that, what was that? 2019, October, 2019, up to October of 2020, when there was a fight that was missing, he was healthy. It wasn't like he had any injuries or anything like that. I think that that's the amount that, he is more than likely, if he's gonna win any part of this, that that's the part that he has the best chance of winning. But again, what's gonna count against him again is that those comments that he made, um, it, it's kind of gonna hurt um, with the other part of the lawsuit. Then the other thing too, the Spence fight is gonna be tough because Spence got hurt. So I don't know how much of that legally will 
top rank be responsible for because they can say that they were trying in good faith to make the fight the fight was going to happen had he not got injured and so they can always have that out so that's the thing that is going to be troublesome for Crawford you know as far as this lawsuit now the racial component of it is I saw a piece in there where they were talking about that top rank you know is racist and the fact that you know, they said like disparaging remarks about him towards the end of his contract that he couldn't sell and how that his promoter saying those things will hurt him if he's trying to sign with another promoter. And so those are some of the things that um, he should be compensated for as well. And then also they were saying how top rank is racist because after the George Floyd situation that a lot of promotional companies, they had you know, things on their mats to honor Black Lives Matter, you know, with logos and things like that, where I don't think that that's going to hold up in a court of law because they're not obligated to do that. But, you know, if they want to pinpoint the fact that that shows how racist the company is, and then also Bob Arum during the height of apartheid that he was still doing business in South America and he was saying that apartheid is politics and, you know, um, if I can make money over there, then I'm gonna make money. And, but it's gonna be tough because race, race, being racist is very difficult to prove in a court of law. Now, do I think that Bob Arum treats fighters differently? Yes, I do. But can you prove that in a court of law is gonna be the, the problem that I think that Crawford is going to be facing, but again, Based on what I saw, based on what I read, based on what I know about what's going on with this particular lawsuit, I should say, I think that his best chance of winning is going to be from that time frame when they promised him two fights. He only had one fight. He was ready to fight and they didn't deliver on their promise of the other fight. And the fact that he has the um, reference of the fights that he had and the amount that he should have made as far as um, what he was going to get for the fight and then the training expenses, I think that 4.5 may hold up. And I think that he, he may get that, but the other one is going to be very difficult to prove for Terrence Crawford. But based on what I know, that, that that's all I have for, for what I do know and understand about this lawsuit. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting uh, lawsuit and where they, how they got to this point. But I do think what's going to work against Bob Arum is the, is the, the uh, disparaging remarks that he made about Crawford at the end of, of the run while he was still promoting Crawford. You know, he, he, he said a lot of things about him not being able to sell and all this, this and that. Um, and I think that's, that's sort of where some of the, you know, the racial bias may come, you know, because he doesn't make those same remarks about some of the other fighters that he promote. But, but at the same time, I think as a promoter, that's your job. It's like, my manager can't say this person's hard to manage. You know, it's your job to manage. You know, it's your job to supervise. You know, so it is Bob Arum's job. So I, I, I can see some of that working against Bob Arum. But of course, you know, Bob Arum is one of those powers that be. You know, his lawyers are powerful. So what I think it's going to happen. Most likely going to happen. Uh, while Crawford may not totally get everything he he's asking for in his lawsuit, I do think they're, going to, they're probably going to sell this out of, out of court and it's going to get put to bed. Now, I think when it comes to, you know, how Bob Aaron promotes fighters and the racial bias and all that, I think that's more so 
of him being out of touch with today's, you know, urban fighter. I think that's more so it than, you know, him is that he's just unable to to to, to promote, an, you know, an African American fighter because he's done it in the past. You know, he promoted, you know, um, he's promoted fights for Muhammad Ali. You know, he promoted um, Hearns, Hagler Hearns, and and Tim Bradley's fights. And he's currently promoting Shakur Stevenson. But I do think he's uh, he's and he did those fights as far as early in his career with the you know the Hagler Hearns and stuff. He promoted those fights successfully. But today, I think he has a little bit more trouble because he's more out of touch with urban fighters. Um, and I think that's more so because of where urban fighters are going today and where they've been going for the last you know ten years, where uh, he can't he's having a he can't really adapt to that. And I think for the urban fighter, I think that, that more so I think. Um, the value has diminished. And what I mean by that is most urban fighters are not sure whether they want to be a boxer or they want to be a rapper or do they want to hang out with football players and basketball players? Because back in the day, if you were, you know, a champion, you know, let's say welterweight or heavyweight champion, you know, if you were Mike Tyson, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, even a Marvin Hagler or Tommy Hearns, people want to hang around you musicians want to hang around you you know athletes want to hang around you you didn't hear about you know sugar Ray leonard trying to you know smooth his way with you know basketball players or, or michael jackson or anybody like that he was who he was the fighter today the urban fighter today used to always have that respect and now they they're going trying to obtain that respect from the outside world you know, and, and I think that's that's affected them. And because they're going the way of, you know, the hip hoppers and, and you know, of course, the uh, want to be respected the same as the football players and the basketball players and that. I think Bob Aaron is more out of touch with where it's going as far as bringing that marketability to those uh, to those markets. And he's failed to to market um, Terrence Crawford in that way. And I think he may even ha- end up having trouble going forward with a Shakur Stevenson. So. Before you finish, what would that have to do with Terrence Crawford? Crawford doesn't, you know, come across as a guy who's trying to be around rappers and all of that type of stuff. Like, how does that factor into what he's trying to do? I just want to make a point. I was just rambling. So. Dialogue, though. You know what I'm saying? This is this is good, healthy conversation. You yeah, know what yeah. This is what we need. We need because, you know. Please. Okay. Okay. I'll answer that. Okay. I'll answer that question. I got a part two. I got a part two. Okay. Because to me, that sounds like that's allowing Bob to get off easy in terms of his practices that he has. Now, again, I think that Bob Aram is a racist. I honestly do. Because I, I heard his second in command say that it's certain fighters that he wouldn't put his fighter against. He put certain, certain black fighters he wouldn't put like a Pacquiao against or other people against because he's scared that they might lose to those fighters. So I think that there is some, something there. I just don't think that he can prove it in this case because of the fact that Bob Aram says certain things about other people too. Now, is he saying that he, because I've heard him say the fact that Mikey Garcia, he was saying that, Mikey Garcia wants obscene money. He's not worth it. So if they bring that into the court, they can say that, see, he said this about him too. He's just upset with the financial obligations of trying to promote these guys because he's losing money when he's trying to promote them and they're asking for too much money that they don't deserve. 
And so they can always use that. But at the same time, if you look at how he promoted Rigo, when he promoted Rigo, he was saying so many bad things about him that the HBO announcer started saying, oh, he's boring, he's this, he's that. Like, how is a promoter going to say that about his fighter? Like, you want to figure out whatever it is you can say to even, let's say, for instance, he's the most boring fighter in the world. You will try to point pinpoint what he's doing well that people need to be watching for so you can promote him so you can make, he can make money and you can make money. That's what should be your job. But he typically does that with the melanin group of fighters that he has. Now, he hasn't done that with Shakur. That's true. Now, I don't know how long that, that's going to be the case. But also with top rank, there's always a grooming part where most people say that they're a good company to start with. But as you go up and the demand for you gets higher, that's when the problem starts because they're going to want certain amount of money and they're not going to be willing to take a chance on you in order for you to, you know, maximize your dollars. And also they're not as willing now to do out you know, um, fighters, the fights that are not um, in-house. And so that's going to affect your um, ability to maximize your profits as well. So it's a lot of that going on. But at the end of the day, I think there's merit to what he's saying. It's just in terms of how can you prove it? Last thing I'm going to say is if you mention the fact that, that to, to say that Black Lives Matter not being on um, like the mats and things like that, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's racist. That may mean the fact that in certain markets, that may be a deterrent on some fans coming to the fight. And all you thinking about is how you can maximize your dollars or somebody else came with um, some more money for you to put on your mat. And that's what you decide to go with. So all of those type of things is going to murky things up in terms of being able to win a lawsuit. You, you know, those some things you just can't prove, you know, in, in a court of law. Yeah, I understand that, and I mean, even with even with the, uh, for example, the, the the Manny Pacquiao situation. I mean, it's hard to say that that. I mean, maybe it was certain fighters he wouldn't put Manny Pacquiao against, but as far as African American fighters in general, I mean, he always treated Tim Bradley good. Tim Bradley ended up with three fights against Pacquiao, and even got that win that I thought was contra- you know, sort of controversial. Uh, it might should have been a close loss for him. He got that win against Manny Pacquiao, and Bradley. You know, he had all the reason he could have left top rank if he wanted to and never did. I think it's more so top rank just don't know how to promote and especially going forward, especially a guy like uh, Terrence Crawford. Um, and Terrence Crawford is not the type of fighter is going to, you know, be very, very talkative. And, and, and he's not really about self-promotion the way someone like a, a uh, Roy Jones Jr. was or. I think he's more, he's more so like Mark Two Sharp Johnson when Mark was you know promoting himself where he wasn't. The only reason I'm stopping because the points that you make and I just want to touch on those points because see the thing is when you say Two Sharp, Two Sharp was never arguably the top pound for pound fighter in the world. Like Terrence, he should have been though. He should have well he should have been in that top ten in my opinion. Maybe I thought he was overlooked. A lot of those small guys, you know, they always have had the difficulty unless you like a, um, a, a Prince Nassim Hamed or somebody like that who's real flamboyant and, and Hector Camacho Camacho and all those types of people. But 
as, as far as Crawford though, right? And, and Timothy, Timothy Bradley, you mentioned him. He marketed him and Bradley got the, see, to me, that's like saying, oh man, how can you complain that, you know, a black person, you know, we got a black person on the Supreme Court and you talk about Clarence Thomas. Well, that's Clarence Thomas. Yeah, you, they'll be comfortable having a Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court as opposed to somebody else who's going to, it's a little bit different. So you can be comfortable around certain segments of, of, of whoever. And then also the fact that he may have been, I don't know, I can't see, then I would be speculating. But at the time, what it appeared was that when they looked at it, it was, um, was Freddie Roach and Bob Arum, they didn't want the, the Mayweather fight. They were trying to avoid that fight as long as they possibly could. That's just Mayweather. That's not every, that you can't say Mayweather and say every black fighter. That's just one fighter. That's not Tim Bradley. That's not Shane Mosley. That's not Joshua Clotty. You mentioned Tim Bradley. You mentioned Tim Bradley at the time when he got the victory over Manny Pacquiao. Exactly. Telling you when he got the victory over Manny Pacquiao, that was around the time when they said that they didn't want to make the Floyd Mayweather fight. It's on record where, um, what's his name said it? And then there was- But what does that have to do with race though? What does that part has to do with race? That's just one fighter, Floyd Mayweather. You mentioned Timothy Bradley. I did. I did. So, I did. I, so him being able to get the victory over Pacquiao is what I'm saying. At that time, that could be a rationale of why they, in a fight that you would think that Pacquiao won. Most people thought that Pacquiao won that fight, but they gave it to Bradley. Again, that was around the time when you had the um, Mayweather Pacquiao, like that was at one, partly at the heights of when they were supposed to be fighting. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but I don't think that that had much because he didn't match Timothy. Because after that victory, Timothy Bradley didn't get matched up with Floyd Mayweather either. So he didn't. He got matched up again against Pacquiao and then Marquez and then like those who still who are still in house. So that made more sense. If if I'm a promoter and I want to keep my money in house as opposed to having to deal with somebody on the outside, yeah, then I, then you might do something like that. In order but that, none to, of that had anything to do with race, though. I didn't. You mentioned Timothy Bradley. You yeah. said the fact that Timothy Bradley, yes, got the victory over Manny Pacquiao, and the fact that Bob Arum did a good job with Timothy Bradley. I'm just saying in terms of how he was able to get the victory in a fight that most people thought that he didn't even win. So he just was a pawn in that situation. It's not like he was doing him any favors or anything like that, that he loved Timothy Bradley. Timothy Bradley was just somebody he can use in order to make more profits off of. So he won in that situation. In white supremacy, you can win under certain circumstances because you know you have pawns in, in, in the game. But again, I'm gonna let you go ahead right out. <laughs> I think it's more so that he just doesn't know how to promote a certain segment of fighters. And he's he's out of touch with it with the current urban fighter. But then again, I think the current urban fighter is out of touch anyway, because it's not like the fighter is, is as 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 respected as they used to be. Like my, like when Mike Tyson became heavyweight champion of the world, you know, people follow him. He didn't follow everyone else, you know. So I think it's more so figuring out how to touch those those outside segments of, of the market when in the past those segments used to come to boxing like the stars yeah they still come to boxing matches but it, it seemed like they come out of obligation just to show themselves and be promoted 
versus back in the day, they came because that was the place to be. That was the place to go. When, like, even when you look at movies, when you went and saw Judgment Night with Emilio Estevez and Cuba Gooden Jr., they, they heard the whole plot started when they went to go see a boxing match, not a basketball match, not a football, uh, uh, I mean, not a football game. So I think it's, it's more so how the, the, the respect for the, 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 the black African-American fighter has, has dropped in, in recent years. But that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. What Terrence Crawford is saying, what does that have to do with the excuse that you are giving to because Bob Aaron? Because Terrence Crawford is the is the pound for pound top, he's, he's he, as, as ESPN reporter, he's a top pound for pound guy. But you wouldn't know that, like nobody follows Terrence Crawford like they should. You know, they don't they don't follow him around. Like he's not that guy. He's not properly promoted. And I think that's more so an inability for Bob Aaron to promote him versus hey, him having a vendetta against um, Terrence Crawford. Per- permission to speak. I'm just going to quote Jamie Foxx in Law Abiding Citizen, where he said, it's not what you know is what you can prove in court. And so even if that is valid, two things. One, it's not going to hold up in court. I don't see a way it's going to hold up in court. And two, he wasn't incorrect in saying it. If you look at, at uh, granted, it's his job to promote, but when you look at Crawford's pay-per-view buys, like Amir Khan or the Porter fight, none of those exceeded 200,000 buys. and so. You know, he wasn't incorrect. He was just the wrong person to say that. But, you know, the only thing that I think may hold up in court personally, like you said, Will, is the uh, the 4.5 mil from that, that second fight in 2019. And if there's some verbiage in the contract that can prevent that, they could point to COVID complications or like some of the contracts like to say like an act of God. Um, and so that may not even hold up. So uh, I think it would have been a much more respectable you know, suit if he would have just went after like the contractual obligations and not the racial part. Because he can't prove it. But again, like I say, I just think that there's some validity there, but the validity that is there, you can't, like you say, you just can't prove that. Like that's a very difficult thing to prove in a court of law. I wish we had more time to go through this because I'm damn sure not trying to give Bob Aram like any grace in the situation and give him any out thinking about who uh how he promoted fighters like Ali and Hagler and you know the fights that he promoted before I mean this is this is a totally different era to say that he did it before he did it in the past because now fighters understand the business side a lot more than they did before at the time they didn't and so they were willing to accept a lot of things because they were the first ones who were actually going through these type of large contracts like that, you know? So they accepted a lot of things that were, you know, in writing and it kind of bit them in the butt at the same time too. You know, now that people have a little bit or a lot more knowledge, you know, based on these contracts with the lawyers and whatnot, they can cipher through the BS. And so, yeah, and I don't think that a person's, as long as you can get the job done, Tyson Fury is a prime example, man. You know, as long as you get the job done and, and, and even if you don't get the job done, it's about putting butts in the seats. And if you're able to do that, then cool. Now, granted, Crawford, they, they can use that. But I always thought that that was the case of what they were doing anyway, because even the fights that where they were putting him on pay-per-view against 
people like Postal, I thought they were sabotaging his numbers in the first place. That, okay, if you go ahead and renegotiate with me and come back, they were giving him money because he was like on the app and things like that. So it was looking good to him as far as what he was making initially because he brought in that ESPN Plus app and they did really good numbers. The money that Top Rank was getting, they can, you know, hook him up with some of that. So he could have been under the impression that that's how it was going to be if he stayed with Top Rank. Now, after a while, but again, like I said, I always thought that prior to that, when they were putting him on pay-per-view against guys like Postal, I nobody knew who Postal was outside of people in boxing. Like, why would you put that fight on pay-per-view? It didn't make any sense. And so, but again, I thought that they were doing that. So when we do sign you to another contract that we can kind of lowball you because we can say, well, you know, we can't give you this type of money because look at what the numbers were for this pay-per-view fight. Now you're a good fighter and whatnot, but at the same time, you know, we got to be realistic with how much we can pay you because we don't want to lose money. You know, that sort of thing. And I thought that that's what they were doing. And lo and behold, I think that that's what they began to use against him um, eventually, you know, later on, you know, in negotiations. But Bob Aaron, man, he has a track record of, of you know, how do they promote Lomachenko? He says so many glaring things. Oh, this is the best fighter since Muhammad Ali. Come on, dog. Why do you think he do that? When same, he reason, that? same reason they say that Javante Davis is pound, should be the pound, pound number one guy. <laughs> Javante Davis, Javante Davis is not with top rank. I'm talking about top rank. No, I like, said the same reason any other promoter would do that to, to their fighter. They want to promote their fighter. That's what they do. Even miss, so even miss who, a lot. Who, who's, who's saying that though? Floyd Mayweather's saying that, right? His, promo, his promoter, yeah. Okay, Floyd Mayweather is saying that about his fighter. Okay, who else is Floyd, like, talk to me. Who, who else has Floyd had that's, like, marketable like Tank Davis who put butts in seats like that? He doesn't have anyone that's that was okay, like okay, so it's gonna be different situations for different fighters. So you think that if Floyd Mayweather had the top one of the top pound for pound fighters, like for real? So you think that he would be talking crazy about him? Do you think um what's his name? Uh Eddie Hearn would be talking crazy about if he if he had the the one of the top pound for pound fighters in the world? Of course no, not. That's what I'm saying. You he had one of the top lower class fighters in boxing when he had Rigo. But he was sitting there t- saying so many disparaging things about him that nobody wanted to see him. Not even HBO wanted to put him on. Oh, he, he's that's another boring fight. It's, a, it's just it's that pattern of that. But again, to be able to prove that in a court of law is a little bit difficult because there's always reasons why you can say that you have these feelings towards this particular fighter and you can use certain numbers. But you're the one who's sitting up there making a case for people not to watch him. You know, now I don't know how that's going to work in the court of law as far as some of the remarks that he made in public. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that works. But, you know, again, like I said, the, the best avenue for me, like from a legal standpoint, is the case that he made as far as the breach of contract when he was supposed to have another fight between 2018 and 2019. I'll give you the last word, Phil. <laughs> I'll just say this, what's done is done, so we can move forward. So now that Terrence Crawford is a free agent, hopefully he can, he can you know, get his money, because I'm a Terrence Steele, Bud Crawford guy, and get his money and get that fight he want, and he 
can knock Errol Spence off the pedestal and he can be that pound for pound number one guy that we all know he is. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. I don't know about all that. You know, Errol got a lot to say, you know, as far as how that, the outcome of that fight. But then, why, then, then, then he can sign a contract instead of going after Ugas. Now, see, here's the thing. Now, I know you fellas, well, I'm not even gonna say that because I don't know what you fellas' situation is. But what I will say is this. When it comes to that, I think that Errol Spence has really been a stand-up guy in terms of what he said that he was going to do. He said that he was going to take care of all of the things that he could take care of on his side. And that's what he's doing. And the last of the belts is resigned with Ugas, and he's taking care of that. And so if he's a man of his word, he would do that. And then he'll fight Terrence Crawford. I think the biggest issue between the two is what Crawford has been doing in the meantime, as far as the fights that he had taken but again, he was with Bob Arum. And I don't know, now looking at it, it seems like some of the fights he didn't want to take as far as the, like the Kavalaskis fight. I don't know if it was necessary Kavalaskis himself or the amount of money that they said that he was going to get for that fight, but he ended up taking it, you know, thinking that he was going to get that Spence fight next. But, you know, like I said, I just think Spence has really been a man of his word. You know, he said what he was going to do, and he's been doing it, you know, with the exception of some of these injuries that that he's had. The only thing with him is that he's starting to turn into Keith Thurman. You know, he's starting to have all of those injuries, and he's starting not to be able to fight some of the fights that we want to see because he's been on the shelf um, due to, like, the accident and then the injuries. Anything else we got before we wrap things up? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we gave uh, Daniel his turn to speak. Oh, Danny got he cooked. Yeah, he said it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Oh, okay, I, I just want to look out for you, Daddy. I put some in the air fryer, you know what I mean? But to answer your question, Will, I also just wanted to shout out Troy Isley for the uh, for the win yesterday. He looked good. You know, he seems like a solid dude. I've interacted with him like once or twice maybe. But I uh, wish him much success with top rank. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Much respect to Troy Isley. Uh, one of my cats. I'm gonna shout him out. One of my cats uh, that I used to work with, Destin Davis. I know his his father was uh, heavy into the you know the the boxing game and know a lot of uh, the local talent. So uh, I've heard a lot of good things about Troy Isley. So I'm just excited to see where he goes forward. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to some of these PBC and the zone um, cars, man. Damn top rank after what my man Matt Crawford said, you know. Yeah, he he he, he like really allowed me the opportunity to kind of reflect. Yeah, they don't have no black lives matter or nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like forget that. No, I'm just playing. I ain't even like when it comes to boxing, I don't look at all that type of stuff, but I just was always like with him. The other thing is why I keep re-signing with somebody who you know has those type of um you know, if you feel that way, you know what I mean? I know it's like the latter part of his contract, but remember that, you know, he left out, like they conveniently left out the fact that he was supposed to fight Manny Pacquiao, like from 2015, all the way up to Manny Pacquiao for Lucas Matisse. You know, that was always out there. But anyway, you know, I, I don't want to keep harping on that subject, but um, yeah, man, good episode. You know, I think we covered a lot of ground. What y'all fellas think? Yeah, we do. What we usually do what we're supposed to do, you know, uh, cook and chop it up. Uh, hopefully we gave uh, the fans what they, you know, they want to hear and, and you know, we, we're going to keep pushing it out there. Yeah, we chopped up that good boxing game today, so we're going to leave it at that. You know, I'm going to um, sit up here, bundle up a little bit on this snowy Sunday. You know, hopefully you enjoy the episode on Monday. 
you know, because that's my fun day. You know, that's just another Manic Monday. On that note, we out. Peace.